Hi, I'm Robert Burke Warren, and what we're doing is we're making sound. Yes, we are. Hello, everybody. Hello, Robert Burke Warren. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. <laughs> How are you? I'm excellent, man. It's it's fantastic to see you. Uh, folks, welcome back to Making Sound with Jan Close, episode 83, babies, 83. My guest is the illustrious and my new friend, Robert Burke Warren, who is a musician and author. He lives in Phoenicia, New York, in the Hudson Valley with his family. He was a member of the Fleshtones and has released several albums of his own. And he has his debut novel, Perfectly Broken, is out now, published by The Story Plant. And he's here, man. How are you, Robert? What's up? I'm very good. And my most recent uh, work is Cash on Cash, which I edited, which is... Oh, this uh, is the new one, right? This yeah, is the this new, is new, new one. one. Yeah, it's... um Cash on Cash. Yeah. Uh, it's a, we'll talk it's about a, that. It's a... Um, I edited a, a, a bunch of... Uh, uh, well, it was my pandemic project, and it's uh, interviews. It's called Interviews and Encounters with Johnny Cash. And... Um, cheers. Cheers. And... Uh, yeah, it is a it is a, an anthology of interviews that goes back as far as the late 50s and goes right up to just before his passing, just a few months before his passing, remarkably. Um, but it was a fascinating project to delve into. I've always been a fan. He's a great American artist, and uh, I learned a lot about him uh, in the doing of the of the book and the putting everything together. And uh, um not least of which was uh, he's not just the man in black. He is, especially since his passing and, and the last bit of work he did with Rick Rubin, because it was, first of all, so great, you know, and so memorable. But also it was um, a document of a, of a man, an artist uh, facing death. And, um, you know, is a beautiful series of albums that they made but but that has really stuck in everyone's mind um as this sort of dark chapter of the man's life and and uh and also because of the internet and and uh, and videos which all internet was uh, social media in particular was all just starting to get going when he released these last albums and uh, and also there was the movie um uh, walk the line which came out in uh let's see it came out in 2005, two years after he passed. But um, mm-hmm. that has really stuck in people's minds as, a, as an accurate document of his life. But anyway, yeah. in, in, in the putting together of the book, going into the archives of the Country Music Hall of Fame and, and finding old magazines that are all out of print and everything that had interviews with him, I, I, I discovered a very different very different man fascinating fascinating i want to i want to talk to you about that and you know his daughter too who i've met and sung with um and um her husband so roseanne cash and john leventhal but i want to i want to uh quickly just you know um open by explaining how we know each other uh and how we started talking and the reason i wanted to have you on uh so we met through um uh, my publicist ann layton right like she introduced us and she was like I've always wanted you guys to meet. Oh my God. I'm so excited about this. And then we, so, you know, uh, we, we just started, I think we just started, got on the phone. No, you wrote me a long email. So we talked about you coming on making sound and you wrote me this long email. And my first thought was, damn, this guy can write. 
Thank like, you. Like he is in command of the English language. Thanks, yeah. In a very lovely way. And it shines in your words and your sentence construction and the emotion. It's like you don't have to read between the lines. Like you could see where you're coming from. And and I I can tell, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you write fast and that you think fast and that you are able to sort of put that down on paper very quickly, which is which is really for me very entertaining. And <laughs> so I was just like, I gotta, I gotta talk to this guy, you know? And we so we got on the phone. And we just started having these great chats. And we just had one recently when I was driving back from Connecticut, like the other day. That was a pretty good one. And that was a great chat. And <laughs> and I thought, look, I, I have to have this guy on the show. I, like People have to meet this person and have to listen to him speak and talk and us converse. And there's just a, it, we just, we just have this really nice connection. And um, so, you know, you, you have a, you have a very interesting background. Your website bio ends in 2016. I know. However, everything that happened before <laughs> that is about is is reads like a book. Well, so you you're originally from. I I just you know I want to introduce you to 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 our listeners a little bit and and you know you're originally from Georgia, correct? Correct. You were born in Atlanta. Well, technically, I was born in Virginia, but I grew up in Atlanta. I was born on a Marine base in Virginia. I have no recollection of that. We moved to Atlanta when I was a baby. So I grew up in yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. And, and your, your parents divorced when you were quite young, like yeah. two, right? I think before that, I think I, and, was, I was not yet one when they divorced. And, and then your father died. Correct. Of alcoholism? Too. A car crash. He was drunk. So I guess, yeah. yes. You know, I mean the, um, yeah, no it, joke. That's sing, you know, yeah. It was single rough. single car crash. He was driving drunk late one night and drove off the road, and that was that. Wow. Yeah, that was and, when I was seven. Yeah, and and you you then eventually made your way to New York, fucking yes. city. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in I the eighties. Couldn't, couldn't wait. Nineteen eighty five, February first, nineteen eighty five is when I. Wow. Well, I had been there touring uh, with a couple it, it, of bands. Bring down, bring down your uh, your oh, dial just a light. little bit. It's it's just it's okay. it's just it's a little, uh, over, a little bit of little hot, hot mic. Hot mic is hot that better? Mic for a hot man is that is that better? <laughs> uh, I think so. Go testing. Okay, Go okay, okay. So. I'll back so. off. Back off. Um, I no, had been there good. a couple of times prior. Is it better? Yeah, it's better. Good mm. with uh, rock and roll bands. Uh, uh, but I moved there, lock, stock, and barrel, on February first, nineteen eighty-five. So, how old were you when you moved to New York City? Nineteen. Jesus. <laughs> That's like I always. I'm very impressed with people that arrive in New York City at, in their teens. Still, it's because uh, it's a rough town. You know, it was. And in the first year I was where did there, you was, live? Uh, I couch surfed a lot that first year. Uh, started in Chelsea, got kicked out of there. Went to a friend's in Brooklyn. Finally found a sublet in Brooklyn that summer. And then I moved into the East Village that autumn. And then I was in the East Village for the whole time I was there. Pretty much after that, for, which was about... It doesn't get 60. better than that. What? It doesn't get better than living in the East Village, I suppose. I mean, in, at that time, certainly... Crazy. Yeah, I was lucky. I was very lucky. At the time, I did not realize it, but um, 
I was sort of the last wave of people who could move to the East Village in particular, but New York, Brooklyn, Queens, and uh, and live cheaply, have yeah. low overhead, and could do my art, could do my work, uh, could have a couple of money gigs so that I could pay my bills. Uh, but it wasn't this onerous like these the, the rents that they pay now. Well, just to give you an idea, the the uh, the apartment that I lived in and for which I paid approximately three hundred dollars a month was my share. <laughs> Is now excuse going. me. Last I checked, Come I again? curious, <laughs> and I went on Craigslist, and last I checked, it was three grand a month. So ten times, yes, yeah, and it may have yeah. gone up. Since Talk I about inflation, folks. We we know inflation here in New York. Believe me, but I was I was very 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 lucky, and uh, and I met my I found my people. You know, I, I I went there not knowing that many people, and I and I got very lucky, and. Um, and I got some great gigs, uh, you know, working, uh, playing in bands, working gigs, playing in bands. I toured the world, and um, with the Flesh Tones, the Flesh Tones. I toured the world with the Flesh Tones, and then a few years after that, I got a gig playing Buddy Holly and the Buddy Holly Story in London. Yeah, now that is cool. That, that was is a cool, a cool gig. gig. You know, I didn't realize we both have this like Broadway esque background. Yeah, because you yeah, know, yeah. I, my first gigs in New York were fucking, you know, the Who's Tommy. And Jacqueline Hyde and just so superstar. I, I, and <laughs> I loved your interview with Michael Cerverus and, um, and Michael Cerverus, the who's Tommy, the the first Tommy on Broadway, right. great actor, and wonderful guy, wonderful guy, great actor, great songwriter, great performer, and um, he, um, yeah, I I saw him do, I saw him do Tommy, and then years later I saw him do Hedvig, and that blew my mind. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yes, I saw him do that. And uh, but uh, anyway, so I, I, um, yeah, I fell in, and I guess you did too. I fell in with the um, with was actors. The first can... Broad, what was the first Broadway show you saw in New York? Do you remember? Oh, that's a good question. The first Broadway show I saw in New York. Mm. Mine was Tommy with Michael with Cerverus. That I think I saw something before. I I saw something before that. Um, I think, uh, well, you know what? I think <laughs> I briefly had a manager and it was brief because of this event I'm about to tell you about. And she was like, <laughs> uh, she's like, uh, you should go out for cats. No, and I was like, I don't think I should go out for cats. Uh, I don't first and foremost, I don't dance. And she's like, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> It That's matter. what they all say. It she said matter. there's a part called the Rum Tum Tugger. Until the tugger. dance call. She says there's a part called the Rum Tum Tugger, one of the cats. And he's sort of the rock and roll cat. And I think that could be you. And I was like, oh. And I should have just said, no, you're fired. But I didn't. I said, uh, okay, uh, let me go see. I want to see the show first. And she said, great, I can get you tickets to go see the show. You know, so she got me in to go see show and i could not believe how terrible it was now that may have been <laughs> i saw uh, that was my first musical i had seen but i also saw the revival of american buffalo and glengarry glenn ross prior to that mm. in the 80s glengarry glenn ross remains the finest night of theater of my life wow that was unforgettable yeah unforgettable and that was in that was i, I know that was before i lived there that was when i was on tour 
the it's band. Great, it's a great movie too. It's a great movie. I saw it in um, '84. I guess it was. Is, uh, yeah. Isn't what's his name in that? Um, Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon's in the movie. The movie. Yeah. The movie cast is um, almost uh, is completely different from the uh, from the from the play. The play was a bunch of Broadway uh, or in Chicago veterans, and the lead was Joe Montaigne. And uh, Tony Roma was played by Joe Montaigne. And uh, yeah, he later on talked about how uh, one of the darkest days of his life was when David Mamet called him up and he's like, man, I got good news and bad news. Because the part had been written with Joe Montaigne in mind. And he said, what's up? And he says, well, uh, someone wants to buy the rights to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and, and make a movie. He's like, oh, that's fantastic, man. Congratulations. He's like, um but they want Al Pacino in your role. <laughs> and it's like, he's like, there's nothing I can do about it. So anyway, yeah. but, uh, but those are the, the uh, my, my first memories of seeing amazing theater in, in New York city are of uh, theater and not yeah. really um, musicals so much. Cause I'm not really a musicals guy. Although I've seen a lot, you know, I've seen a fair amount, um, but no, I'm a, I'm a sucker for really good theater, but uh, rock and roll theater uh, is when it's either rock and roll theater or, or you know, musical theater that doesn't use the conventions of musical theater music, which is wonderful, but it's just not really. First of all, it's really complicated, and I I would have a really hard time as a performer singing a lot of that stuff. You know, you don't want to throw me into like Carousel or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, if no, you want to throw, we're, we're rock and throw, roll type of guys. If you want to throw me into Rocky Horror Pictures, Rocky Horror Show, Ooh, or show. Hedwig, or Grease, or something like that, well, not anymore. But but um, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. or Buddy Holly, you know. So I was listening to um, you, um, you know, on Spotify, and um, you know, we we've, we've had some great conversations already, and and then I started watching some of your videos because you you do these tribute shows and you have your own David Bowie tribute show, which, uh, and I watched some video of that and, and there's a video of you at the colony in Woodstock, great venue, beautiful venue. And, uh, where you live is near, near, uh, Woodstock. So you, you know, you're, you, you play there a lot. And, um, and I listened to a bunch of your, um, earlier releases as a singer songwriter. And, um, your your record your your first album was was a major label release no, I wish no um I put everything out myself, I what, um what was the, uh, I thought you had like um, there was like a deal that you had there and um feel feel like I read that somewhere no did you I get that wrong into my imaginary world there for a second. <laughs> you, you fell I? into my spell <laughs> okay you fell under my that's, spell that's okay man it took me twenty years to get signed <laughs> signed to a real you know a big record label it 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 took you know, it doesn't matter. You never know. You never know. You never know. Um, and so like, what am I thinking then? I forget what it is. Oh, you played on, you played on something that was, oh yeah, 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 you were right. It was a, uh, it was a band that was signed to Island oh, that. called Crush or something. Well, they eventually and then they got folded. And, well, yeah, I recorded, we recorded an album and later it was, it was re-recorded, recorded an album. At, that was in my, that was when I was going to be a rock star when my ship came in and um i think that was 1991 and uh yeah they had already been signed to island and um 
they were making an album with in excess's producer was coming over from Australia and um, we recorded at uh, electric lady studios and it was a horrible experience. Um, Tell me about this. <laughs> Cause I, I just know like you've seen it all, man. Like your bio just reads like you've, you know, you've seen it all in, well, the, I've in seen, the music. I've certainly seen a lot. And, I mean, and, and, and yeah, I just, I, I just, I love that. You know, those stories are, those are, the stories are great because it's good for people to hear what it's really like out there. Yeah. Well, it was, what it was like for me was they had this deal with Island and, uh, and uh, they needed a bass player and they had different people had played bass on their demos and stuff. But uh, yeah, it, the band comprised, it was also interestingly uh, just before Nirvana. Mm-hmm. So it was like post glam metal. I guess the biggest band in the world at that time was probably Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses. And this is before you did Buddy Holly in the West End. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And um and I was still kind of a journeyman bass player trying to be a songwriter, but um I was mainly a bass player for the first 10 years of my m- being a musician. That was my uh that was that was my main thing. And uh playing bass with a lot of people and anyway so uh yeah we went in and the the band featured it was kind of the music that they made ended up sounding quite a lot like or they were trying to sound sort of like a goth um for jane's addiction sort of you know uh yeah but i guess the biggest bands in the world at that time were pearl jam guns and roses and rem yeah. Anyway, so they uh they and You're a big fan like you REM. I'm a huge REM. It's the fan. Georgia Georgia connection. Huge huge fan. Uh I I saw Michael Stipe once on Christopher Street sitting in a cafe. Um this is a few years ago. I walked down Christopher Street and I walked past his little cafe and this guy like looks right at me and I look right at him like flirtatiously almost. No doubt. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I looked on and I walked on and I was like, that was Michael Stipe. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. That's my REM story. <laughs> my, my wife tells a funny story. Long before she and I met in the early 80s when they were in their first blush of fame uh, before they were signed to major label or anything like that, they played at Danceteria and she went and saw them. And um, and after the show, she's just standing around and uh, and similar to you, she makes eyes with Michael Stipe and he grabs her and kisses her. <laughs> What's a naughty boy, that one. A naughty boy. Rock star. Total rock star. Um, but, your, uh, your wife, Holly, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I hope If, if we don't have enough time today, I, I'm bringing you back on. But okay. Your wife, Holly, was working, so this is in the late 80s, you're both in New York, you met really young. Well, I right? was 22. Yeah, I was 22. Yeah. She was, she was a, a little older than me. We'll just say that. But yeah, okay. I was 22. So you met in New York, and she was working, or later worked for uh, Wenner Media. For she Rolling worked for Stone. Rolling Stone. Yeah, she Jan Wenner, Win- my my name cousin. The other she Jan worked for Winner <laughs> Winner Media. Yeah, she worked for them for most of the nineties. Um, wow. Putting together books, packaging books. They had a book division cool. called Rolling Stone Press. And um, but uh, yeah, she's and she has since since we moved up here. She's become a, a biographer and a teacher, and she's currently 
she's written a biography of Janis Joplin, which did very well. And um, she wrote a biography of uh, the singing, the original singing cowboy, Gene Autry. And Holly's last name is? Uh, It's hyphenated. It's George hyphen Warren. Got it. And she's working on a biography of Jack Kerouac now. Wow. And, um, And she's working on a book with Dolly Parton's people about Dolly's clothes. And it's called <laughs> okay. My Life Behind the Scenes. <laughs> Told you there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. She, she has a pretty fascinating career. But yeah, so this book, this, uh, this, this, uh, this album that I was working on, the, the band was then called Pleasure Head and they featured, Pleasure Head. Th- they featured <laughs> the, the guitar player from Susie and the Banshees mm-hmm. and the drummer from Killing Joke. And it's a very goth, you know, gothy. And uh, and the singer who was primarily a studio rat uh, named Michael Brayman, who said he had been in Men Without Hats, but I'm I'm not 100 percent sure if that's accurate. But anyway, <laughs> but then, Men Without Hats, I remember that. <laughs> I know, right? Do you really want to say that so loud? But uh, but anyway, uh, I got the gig and we made this uh, the, this album, and it was just it was just a toxic. The personalities were just really toxic and awful. Can I ask you something about getting the gig? Like, what does did that mean? Like that you were part of the deal, the record deal? Did they pay you a salary? Like, how did that work then? I got two months of salary and then I quit. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Say no more. <laughs> I actually, I I mean, I I stuck it out and made the album with them, and then they got dropped. You know, so I basically I jumped off of a sinking ship, um, and uh, and then the singer got replaced, and then they got a. Oh, it was just a classic story. And then the album finally got released on Polygram or something. Um, and, you know, it didn't really do anything. And that was it. It was the end. But um, Polygram, are they still, that's a European yeah. imprint, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Polygram, but I don't think they it released all the, like, all the, um, God, they, they released a lot of music back in the 70s. But they, uh, and then I went from there to playing bass in John Moore's band. And he was si- also signed to Polygram. <laughs> And um, he was going to be the next Billy Idol. That was the big push with him. And that was a working gig. And then, um, and again, you know, I don't know, maybe it's me, but these guys were assholes. <laughs> and, I, and I just finally just got to the point where I was like, do I want, I have to ask myself, do I want to suck it up and put up with this bullshit? Mm-hmm. Or do I just want to say, fuck this and go back to, bartending working in the bars to pay my bills because that was my main gig when i and to my astonishment because i had dreamed i had dreamed the rock star dream but i guess i didn't factor into it uh the depth of the asshole behavior that i would that i would encounter uh and i said i i think i'm just gonna go back to the bars and it was the right choice to make just a few just a couple years later i got the opportunity to do this buddy holly gig and that was that kind of came out of nowhere but also, I was starting to audition more for for film and television, and because mm-hmm. I had been an actor as well, and um, you know, I was in a I was in a a dinner theater version of the Buddy Holly story in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I got that gig, but and wow. then while I was there, other members of the cast said, "You know, the London production is always looking for new." Buddy Holly's and it's a hard role to cast because you have to somewhat look the part you have to be the right age you have to be able to play guitar and sing like him and you know you should be able to act a little bit you know and so um, 
they said, you, you, you're, you're a shoe in, why don't you reach out to them? So I did, I reached out to the London company and they were mm -hmm. coming to New York and they had auditions and long story short, I got the gig Amazing. and I got a contract to go over there for initially six months and then they renewed it for a year. And it was an incredible experience, you know, the Victoria Palace Theater. At first I was on the tour going around the UK and then for the Victoria Palace Theater is now where Hamilton is. And it's one of the bigger theaters in, uh, in the West End. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's 1500 seats. It might be 2000. Good size. Yeah. And <laughs> most theaters, I found most theaters over there, I was surprised to find were not that huge, you know? The usual West End theater would be like 800, 900 seats, maybe a thousand. Yeah, that's uh, normal. Because there's so many of them. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. so that was great. And then I came back from that. And, and while I was doing that, I, I, um, weirdly got, uh, I was 30 then, you know, and I was, uh, <sighs> you know, I really wanted to hone my songwriting. I really hadn't done that, hadn't checked that box yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I was mm -hmm. like, I've done this, this, and this, but I haven't done this. Mm -hmm. I really, really want to. And what happened was, is that Holly, while I was away, this is where Roseanne comes into the story. Roseanne was giving a songwriting workshop at the Omega Institute, uh, which is, um, I think, in Rhinebeck, New York, which is about an hour from where I live. And um, you had to audition to get in. So Holly sent Roseanne some of my songs, and, uh, and I got into this workshop. And I went there first time in 1995 and she and I became Roseanne and I became friends. And she's uh, so lovely. I love that woman. I, and I'm curious, when did you sing with her and John? What was that? Up, what was that? That was uh, the Martin guitar 175th anniversary concert at the state theater in um, Pennsylvania in where's the state Al um, Allentown, no. Pennsylvania. Yeah. 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 I imagine Al it would be because Allentown. Yeah, I think so. The state, yeah. um, <clears throat> and it was the yeah, it was the Martin guitar. I'm a Martin artist, so they. Um, I mean, this was in 2008, you know, and I was so green. I was just kind of like coming up through the, the you know scenes of. The same thing, you know. I wanted to be a songwriter, you know. I I I came to New York in the early 2000s and did the Broadway thing, but it was like I want to write. I want to yeah. write. I want to sing. I want to do my own music. And everyone, including my vocal coach, and, you know, was just like, well, well there goes another one. <laughs> you know, like the reaction was like, oh, no. Are, are you, you mad? You could be working forever on Broadway. And I said, well, that's nice, but that's not how I want to live my life. You know, um, nothing against theater because I love the combination of that, but I want to be involved in the creative side. But anyway, long story short, I, I had released this album called Reverie, which came out in 20, 2007. And um, I I basically just picked up the phone and said, hey, Martin Guitars, I've done this, I'm doing that, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know can I, you know, can I get a discount, <laughs> basically? And uh, the guy that was then, you know, that I, was my, my liaison then, um, he said, Chris Thomas, um, um, he was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll take you on. I was like, really? That was easy. Wow. And uh, um, I'm trying to remember that. Anyway, I eventually met Dick Boke, who was Martin Guitar's like main A&R guy. And he, uh, you know, they just they contacted me one day and I said, we're doing an anniversary concert and it's 
we'll have uh you know Roseanne Cash and Marty Stewart and uh wow. um uh what's his name um from the birds um Roger McGuinn Roger McGuinn yeah and uh, John Leventhal and uh, uh Tom Bresh and um I mean like they had several other people and and I didn't know everybody but I knew okay this was going to be a big deal you know like this is and I remember, my God, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I had like a brick in my stomach. I was so nervous. And uh, my my then bass player, Chris Maroff, and I uh, went and we opened the show. Wow. Like they gave us like a 30 minute <laughs> set. Wow. You know, and it was all Martin employees. <laughs> so everyone was thrilled to be there because they had a day off and they got to just hang out and see people play. And it was a beautiful event, you know, like yeah, the lesson for the kids here is. It never hurts to ask. It never hurts to ask. Always <laughs> never know. And, and try not, you know, don't take, I don't take no for an answer. You know, I mean, I'll keep asking forever. Keep, yeah, <laughs> keep like, asking. That's yeah, the, I mean, what I else mean, is there? It's a one life. You got one what life. What if they say no? Well, you know what? They probably will say no, but they yeah. might not say no. They might not. And yeah. if one door closes, another one opens. I was just having this conversation today with, with some family and some friends. It's like, if you don't close the door, another one won't open. You got to like, sometimes you just got to move on from shit. Just like you moved on from that band. Yeah. You know, and look what happened, you know? Yeah. Anyway, long story short, we were all on, you know, we we opened the show. And at the end, we were supposed to all do a song together. So they said, um, they said, let's do uh, um, My Back Pages, Bob Dylan. Sure. And uh, I was like, fuck, I don't know that song. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I was so, I was frightened. And, uh, um, so I like, I immediately started like, you know, and everybody, there's so many words to the song. It's very wordy. It's very yeah. Dil Dylan-esque in that sense. You're not Dylan-esque. That's uh, anyway, that's an oxymoron. Uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, it's Dylan, you know, lots of words, um, uh, beautiful words, great writing. And uh, so we had like lyric sheets, you know, we like, I just wrote it out and I, that's how I would remember it. And I, I figured out the chord progression. It wasn't that hard. And, um, and we all sang a verse and I just remember like singing, there's a video of it on YouTube if you want to look oh, it up. And we'll definitely check yeah, it out. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's a fun video. And um, uh, I remember like Marty Stewart, like at one point when I was singing goes, yeah, you know, and cool. I was just like, oh, okay. Encouragement. Great. Let's go. And then we walked off stage and Roseanne came up and she was like, you sounded amazing. Oh, you know, like she was so sweet, She's like so sweet. humble and just you know, and and so when I saw that you had, uh, she actually recorded one of your songs. Well, we wrote a song and it together. Ended up on her album. Yeah, yeah, ended, that ended was up on her thrill. album. Yeah, that was a thrill. Yeah, she and John were working on a song, and from the get go, she gave me a lot of uh, positive feedback at the workshop. And then our sons were born a year apart, almost exactly. My son was born in '98. Hers was born in '99. We had stayed in touch. You know, since, and I took the workshop, I think two more times, but we, we struck up a friendship and I was again, still living in Manhattan then. And, and she is a, she'll be, she'll, she will never leave Manhattan. I, she's a <laughs> diehard New York. Yeah, she and John both forever, are yeah. diehard New Yorkers. And, um, but anyway, so yeah, they were working on this album of hers, Rules of Travel. And, um, they had a song and she was stuck lyrically and she had particularly been i mean she really was 
a mentor to me, not only as a songwriter, but as a writer in particular. Like, uh, it's funny because you started this by talking about my, and I really appreciate what you said about my email because my emails, uh, usually they exhaust people, you know, (laughs) but you were just like, this is fucking great. Bring it on, which is wonderful for me to hear. I appreciate it. But, um, uh, she was similar in that way. And then I would send her some, I would just send her emails and I would do that. And, um, and she wrote me back and she was like, you know, not, you know, keep writing songs, but at the same time, the way she put it, and I'll never forget it. She's like, you should really sharpen your prose pencil. She said, you've got Mm. something. Mm. And I knew from taking the workshop with her that she was not a bullshitter. And, Certainly, there's been things that I have done creatively that she's like, you know, that's not your best work. <laughs> you know, it's just like, that's not, that's not. That's good. We uh, need that, you know, like we need people like that we respect. Absolutely. Uh, to give us feedback like that. It's, yeah. Absolutely. Because if they say everything's good, then then it really loses its value when they say something is great. Like when she came up to you and said that you were great, I guarantee you she was not bullshitting you, you know. And, um, but anyway, um so yeah, we she and John were working on this song called Forty Four Stories. Interestingly, it's from a woman's point of view. It's a sort of a first. Well, it's not first person. It's third person. But it. Um, she's like I. You know, there's this woman because Roseanne was about to turn forty four at the time, and she had this idea to write a song where there was all these stories that she had for each year of her life, and she said, "Would you help me finish these lyrics?" And I said. Let me check my schedule. Yes, of, <laughs> yeah. of course I will. You know, I and so know. let me get back to you. Maybe. Yeah, I'll give that. <laughs> no, it's all I could do not to just scream and holler. It was a great honor. Um, and okay. so yeah, we did. We finished that, and it came out on Rules of Travel, which I think came out in '03. Um, and that was a thrill. It was a thrill to have a song with my name on it on a Roseanne Cash album. And she was she played it. Oh. oh she played it in, in concert, and at one point she uh, duetted with Elvis Costello on it. But sadly, there is no recording of that event, unfortunately. But it did happen. Give us the Elvis name Costello of the, that song again. That I wrote. What? Give us the name of that song again. It's called 44 Stories. You can find it on all streaming platforms. Yes, please. And, and um, I think you could actually buy a physical copy of it if you really wanted to. And that was nominated for a Grammy, wasn't it? It was nominated for a Grammy, yes. It was. And that was, you know, that was right around the time that I m- moved upstate with uh, with my wife and son. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, but that was she kept, you know, I started taking my writing more seriously as a as a writer. You know, um, can I, can I, can I, let me ask you something. I gotta I gotta interrupt you, but so the 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 songwriting part and and writing prose that to me is like a huge scary sounding leap and and i'm i'm trying to figure out if cuz you write a lot of essays and articles too for a lot of like major outlets major journalistic outlets like yeah. Salon and and I mean you you interviewed Stevie Nicks and I, which I want to talk to you <laughs> about must- the most famous person I've ever talked to. I mean, like that, that should, <laughs> must have been an interesting. But you know, as, so as a writer, were you already writing articles, and then you went into writing novels? And yeah. Also, and, and pretty and, much. And and by okay. So do you? Did, when do you think you wrote your first 
did you imagine becoming a writer? Is that's a long it's a long yes. way of me asking you that. Yeah. Yeah, the writer's life uh the process um doing the work um everything that that entails from like sitting your ass in the seat and doing the work and then and then honing the work which is it's also it's not unlike songwriting but it, it um it just takes it's 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 a different um it goes to a different place when people when people hear songs it's going to a different place than when people read material so mm -hmm. but um but i was uh a songwriter i wrote a lot of songs before i started to really hone the other skill of writing prose whether it's an essay or fiction you know uh but i guess what i really had to get used to is the time you know how long it takes me to i mean you can take a long time writing a song especially if you're someone like leonard cohen i was always fascinated by how long he would take to write his mm -hmm. material generally and and how often he would change it over time you know there's mm -hmm. different versions of his songs all over the place dylan did the same thing and does the same thing but with dylan too dylan would say oh yeah i wrote you know i wrote that song in an afternoon or i don't know i was just today i was just reading about how paul simon wrote bridge over troubled water in an afternoon paul mccartney famously wrote yesterday in an afternoon dolly parton wrote i will always love you and jolene on the same day <laughs> is that true that's what she said how do you know that she told my wife that what <laughs> yeah oh come on man uh yeah i'm peter frampton for what it's worth peter what frampton date was wrote, that what what date was that i have to plan something for that <laughs> day of the year peter frampton wrote <laughs> show me the way and baby i love your way on the same day but anyways well, come the on, point man. though is that these songs you know i'm going uh, i'm going on a hot air balloon ride on that day whatever date that is right. <laughs> I mean, just to be closer to the gods but yes. yeah generally but generally that doesn't really happen even even you know my wife's working on this jack kerouac book now now they're the myth that has uh, risen up about how on the road was written um jack kerouac's on the road is that he wrote it uh on speed over the course of I, I can't remember what it is something like two weeks or something like that this you know seminal american novel mm -hmm. that's not really true i mean uh he wrote a lot of it with no punctuation no capitalization nothing just mm -hmm. you know yep, on yep, a yep. on a scroll of paper right uh, that's true, but the actual turning it into readable prose took a lot longer, and he used an editor for that. There was an editor that came in and basically turned it into readable prose. So he may have created the raw material pretty quickly, but anyway. So the the point is, is that the with 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 writing, I had to get accustomed to the the the, the time that you have to spend um, to to do the stuff, especially writing a, a long form, like uh, writing a novel. I mean, my novel. And it was, and probably about the same amount of words for the Johnny Cash book, you know. Uh, actually, I can't remember how many words my novel is. It's not that long, but it, it, a novel generally is at least thirty thousand words, and um, usually a lot more than that. They always say that um, the Great Gatsby, I think, is approximately thirty thousand words. Mm -hmm. and that's a short novel. Yeah. But uh, anyway, how many words time, is Doria the the uh, the portrait of Dorian Gray? That's probably pretty shorter. Short. Yeah. 
that's definitely shorter. Yeah. 15. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so, so that, that was just what I had to get accustomed to, but I found that over time and I, 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 it's crucial that I, I, you know, it's such a solitary process, unlike songwriting where you write your stuff and then you have the option to take it out and play it in front of people. And it sort of reveals what it is to you. And I don't know. I'm, yeah, I, I'm yeah, guess, yeah, that's a great way to, to compare I'm, that. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to guess that there's songs that you've written that you you thought they were good, you know, and then you play them for people and you're like, oh, God, I didn't realize it was yeah. that good. You know? <laughs> or it's <laughs> like it sucked that much. <laughs> or No, no, no. I mean, no, no, no. I thought it was you, you, what has happened to me that's yeah. interesting songwriting wise is, is that until you put the stuff in front of people, you don't. Totally. You can, it can be much better than you thought it was yes. and it can be not as good as you thought it was and but you don't know something so happens you, something yeah. happens in our brains when we read something out loud either to ourselves and then when there is someone else in the room something happens i don't know True. what it is but something yeah. happens yeah there's the listener brings something to the work and um you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a collaborative experience. Whereas, you know, not so much with writing fiction. I was just the other day, I, I have this show to do a week from Sunday where I have to tell a story and I was trying and I started to write something that I thought was really good. And then I started to read it aloud. And I was like, I can't do this. This doesn't, this doesn't have any, this is, this, this is a good reading thing. This is a good thing that for people to read but I can't get up on a stage and tell this story. There's nothing here. I need to do something different. That's got some kind of, I don't know, some kind of conflict or some kind of action in it. Um, this is kind of flat, you know, but, um, so the, the, the writing, the sitting and writing, um, but the lifestyle, the doing of that, I, I do, I have developed over time the, the patience to do it. And it's an act of faith too, where you're sitting there and you're like, Am I, did I just waste a whole fucking day on this paragraph? And then you may have, <laughs> but, but it's not, but the thing is, totally. you may not have, but you just keep yeah. coming back to it and keep kind of, it's sort of this, this weird, it's kind of like being a compulsive gambler, actually being, it, it, it occurred to me not too long ago that any kind of creative art, you know, what you do, what I do, whether it's songwriting or putting another album out there like you're doing or, you know, it's always a gamble. It's risk reward. Speaking of gambling and and releasing music, I want to thank everybody that's already listened to my new album, which just came out called Surrender. And uh, so just, I've been meaning to say thank you to everybody that's listening that, that um, has checked out the new record. So there's a little bit less of the podcast this season um, because there's a lot going on with that and touring and doing media and so forth. But again, thank you. And back to Robert Burke Warren, because I had to talk to this guy. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. It's fun. I was, I really, uh, you know, I'm, I like I, the, the, I loved those two, the three episodes that I listened to. How many, how many was the, um, of course, Michael was just the yeah. one. But it was two. Yeah, I'm for, trying to remember what episode that was with with uh, Michael Severus. Um, but you, the number? You, yeah, I'm trying to remember what episode it is. But um, you know, it was really he was so cool. 
you know um <clears throat> this is we're on episode 83 you know so this is this kind of developed as a something to do during the pandemic and then i said i'm not going to stop doing this it's too much fun i really enjoy talking to people i meet a lot of very interesting people it you know it, it, it's some it's nice to do something that isn't all about me you know like i i believe it or not like after a while talking about yourself becomes very boring <laughs> you know okay, but then you get to so. switch up the story like dylan does you switch up the story okay. you could yeah. do that you know he i mean he he started writing prose he did. I haven't you know? read Chronicles yet, but everyone that I know that's that's read it says it's great. Yeah, and then I'm yeah. not surprised. So yeah, I mean, M Michael uh, Cerveris, he was he was great. I mean, I just reached out to him on on Instagram. Right. Yeah, and I, I said, I hey, remember, you know, um, I, I by the way, thing, I I finally got to meet him. We had met briefly in a club in New York years ago, but he um, during the pandemic uh, in that first. Uh, God, when was that? Jesus, uh, 21 post vax post. I can't remember, but, um, we still couldn't play in clubs and the Bardavon and UPAC, uh, these two venues are owned by the same people. They were going to do a tribute to Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars. And they asked me if I would, uh, I had done the, uh, the tribute shows in Woodstock and they said, "What do you got? How do you guys feel about coming to UPAC and performing on stage? And we'll record it and edit it and and do that. And you can have special guests." And I said, "Great." And my band was like, "Great." Nobody was playing out anywhere, and it was their place. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, so I I I can't remember how I found, but Michael was very uh, approachable, and he was in. New York City at that time, doing filming. Um, what was that show? G uh, Gilded Age. He, he was in, mm -hmm. uh, where he played the mysterious butler Watson. Um, and he said, "Yeah, sure, I'll come up and sing a song." And so he did. He came up and he sang "Rock and Roll Suicide" and killed it. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. killed it. Perfect, perfect uh, version of "Rock and Roll Suicide." So anyway, but anyway, I I enjoyed that and uh, the Howard Bloom. Uh, episodes were so very very different and um uh i gotta yeah. have him back <clears throat> yeah howard, said, yeah howard was awesome i mean that will, i will i would listen to a i would listen to a part three um uh, definitely of that of that dude but yeah so mm -hmm. you know that's i've just been staying busy and and uh again during the when i was grounded i actually had a job i had another bass playing working bass playing gig to my astonishment just before, because I'm, I was 57 at the time. And I was like, uh, you know, just sort of my son had gone off to college and, you know, we were empty nesters and adjusting to all of that. And I was figuring out, trying to figure out how to plan the final quarter of my life. And, um, you know, what am I going to do now? What now, you know, and I got this bass playing gig to play bass in this band called the mammals. And, uh, they, uh, they just said, we, we, we need a bass player to do these tour dates. And they were playing this circuit of like folk bands, this whole, this whole circuit that I didn't really know very much about. And so we were doing gigs in Colorado and Michigan and Wisconsin and mm -hmm. getting in the band with their kids. And it was really fun. I was having a great time. And then we were supposed to tour Australia and California uh, in April of 2020. And then that, of course, didn't happen. And then 
I was trying to figure out something to do. And then I, uh, I, a friend of mine had done a book about George Harrison for this publisher, Chicago Review Press. And uh, they have a series of books called Musicians in Their Own Words. And the template is always the same in that you take a musician uh, and um, you put together interviews and then you write introductions to each of the interviews and pull together a narrative of their life as told by them. Mm-hmm. And they had a Dylan on Dylan, Leonard Cohen on Leonard Cohen, Cobain on Cobain, uh, Judy Garland on Judy Garland, Dolly Parton on Dolly Parton. They had a lot of these books. And my friend did George Harrison on George Harrison, and he sent us a copy of it during lockdown. And I really got to know George Harrison in a way that I didn't. I'm a huge Beatle fan. And the interviews I thought were really, it was fascinating to read his words in his own voice, but also to see how journalists covered him and covered musicians differently in different decades. Like whether it was the late sixties, the seventies, when it was really kind of, I feel like the golden age of rock journalism, because the interviews were long in depth mm-hmm uh fascinating and they would talk about all kinds of things and in the 80s the the interviews get shorter people's attention spans get shorter Mm -hmm. generally and uh and they then they're then they're kind of talking to them like they're gods Mm -hmm. they weren't talking to them like they were gods in the 70s Mm -hmm. not so much whether it was bowie or dylan or anybody they were there it was a little bit more sort of chatty and not as reverential and it's yeah. probably because you do. I mean, tell me if you disagree with this, but it's probably because you had the emergence of the pop superstar in the 80s, the Michael Jackson, the Madonnas. Yes. Et yeah. And they were like royalty, you know, and people would journalists would suck up to them generally and talk anyway. But so so the George Harrison book really captivated me. And then out of curiosity, I went to the website and I saw that there was no Johnny Cash book. And I knew I just knew regardless of whether I, I, my friendship with Roseanne or whatever, but I just knew that Johnny Cash was a real, uh, I had read many interviews with him over the years when he's a fascinating interview, you know, and a fascinating story uh, and an, and a singular artist in so many ways in that I don't think you can find an artist with a broader spectrum of fans, whether it's punk rockers, you know, potheads, heavy metal kids, people on the left, tree huggers, you know, and then, you know, people on the far right, truck drivers, you know, policemen, military people, they all love, young, old. Yeah. They all love this man. Why do you think that is? That is, you know, I, the short answer is I don't know, but I do know that when I went back and I listened to his music, particularly the stuff that really where he made his mark in the fifties and the sixties, mostly in the mid fifties into the early sixties. Um, nothing sounds like him and, uh, his voice, there's nobody that really sounds like him, but his, his, his stuff is dark. He's able to convey darkness and, uh, in a way that's not judgmental, strangely, so even if you haven't shot a man in Reno just to watch him die as the protagonist <laughs> of, of Folsom Prison Blues has, or, you know, 
any number of other things uh, that he sings about. There's something in his voice that is uh, non-judgmental and um, speaks to that shadowy part of all of us. It's know? a very good. That's a very good point. You know, because you think about it, he is admitting to murder. Yes. <laughs> in the song, he's confessing to murder. It was a, and there was a hit song, and that it was, was a that, hit. That one came out. And you in, don't really think, know. You, you know, when you listen to the song, you're like, "Is this the guy that did it, or is he writing about the guy that?" A did lot it? of people thought he was <laughs> the guy that did it, and because he sang with such authority, he would sing songs that were from his actual life. And as a, as a songwriter and as a performer, uh, he conveyed this authenticity, you know, and that was, I just think, his gift. Mm-hmm. And uh, he conveyed authenticity. People would look at him and listen to him, no matter what kind of people they were, whether they were prisoners. The albums, the live albums that he made, the two live albums that he made in prisons, San Quentin and At Folsom Prison, those are incredible sonic documents that are strange and and powerful. And they're not, it's unclassifiable. I mean, he was, you know, classified more or less as a country artist. But those albums are as punk rock as it gets. I mean, they are intense. The playing is all over the place. It's rushed. You know, everybody's on speed, and the and the um, his voice <laughs> is hoarse. He's he's flat a lot, and none of it matters. It's just yeah. like it's greater than the sum of its parts. And you have these incarcerated mm-hmm. men that you can hear off mic screaming, yeah. and like at any point. And he said this later. He realized that in that moment that he could have told them to riot and they would he, he was like if i tell these guys to just turn these tables these murderers you know people that have done horrible heinous things uh they let him out of their cells to listen to johnny cash and they recorded it for posterity um he said if i told them to to give in to their basest impulses right now they would and they would have but they didn't but he didn't and they didn't but that tension is on the recordings and this i I encourage anybody to do what i did and go back down the johnny cash rabbit hole now he released 80 something albums in his career and a lot of them are not so great Mm. quite a lot of them are not so great but um the ones that are great uh, are 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 really compelling, fascinating listening. And he it started as a writer uh, and became ultimately more of a interpreter, but also just became an icon. You know, he had his own television show, and and um, his television show was a remarkable thing too. It was I think sixty eight to seventy, uh, and he had Mahalia Jackson. Louis Armstrong. This was, you know, in the in the dark days of the Vietnam War and the counterculture and everything. Mm-hmm. Louis Armstrong, Mahalia Jackson, Bob Dylan. The, but he also have like the monkeys, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's a fascinating dude. He's like a, a jack of all trades, you know, uh, kind of like you. Well, you know, you you uh, are you you play all these different roles and you you slip into them, you know, like you. The writer, the actor, the singer, the songwriter, the 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 author, the musician, the presenter, you know, it's kind of cool. And, you know, the actor, you know, like you have this, 
and people can't see you because this is a podcast, but I can see you. And that face of yours, I mean, really, should be on television, Tony. <laughs> oh, thanks, yeah. <laughs> now you tell me. Yeah, but no. No, no, no. Man. No, it's, I did. It's I, great. I had, you know, I, I love performing. I do love getting up on stage and performing. That's yeah. What, and whatever it's visible. It is. It's visible, man. Like I watched those videos of you doing the, the, the Bowie. And it's like you, you are not afraid of the stage. And you, the audience is like in the palm of your hand, you know, like it's, 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 it's a great lesson for anyone to watch. Um, I can relate to it. I love that feeling. You know, it's like, that's my drug. You know, like the adrenaline is my, yeah. that's my drug, you know, like I, I love that, that excitement. Um, and, but back to cash, you know, and you writing about cash and Johnny cash and, you know, um, his, um, his cover of Depeche Mode, is it Depeche Mode? He covered, he covered Depeche Mode. He did Personal Jesus. Personal Jesus. And the, uh, but the, the most played Johnny Cash song, uh, ever and that ever will be is his cover of hurt of nine inch nails hurt oh yeah hurt that one nine inch nails has been streamed last i checked half a billion times yeah, and insane. it's one of those things where his i found in my research that his 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 material his output um has been um uh in the same way as what happened with elvis presley and kurt cobain is that after his death uh, he's more popular than ever, you know. I mean, people aren't buying albums anymore, sadly. But uh, hey, no, are... I, I just I just mailed vinyl and CDs today. Oh, good for you! Yeah, good for you. I, I <laughs> it mean, doesn't they, matter they, how many, you know. But I still, still listen do. to them, and I still I buy still. them. Uh, I but I, uh, but generally speaking, but mm. but the but the but the music's out there, and people are listening to it. And it's um, not like the '80s does for sure. I mean. The industry, the music industry, like double dipped oh, know, man. for so long. And then, I, you know, the huge hole. I mean, like it's the yin and the yang. It's got to, I mean, in the 80s after uh, um, CDs, when CDs came out, everything, everyone bought everything they already owned on vinyl again yes. and yeah, then on yeah. tape, you know. So the music industry has, has managed to, uh, for a while anyway, double yeah. dip. And then uh, the internet came and said, you know, Napster came in and said, uh, bye. <laughs> it was the end. But yeah, it's it was kind of like, it was, it was like the gold rush. You know, I'm doing it, like the gold it now rush. with, I'm like, I'm buying, like, I don't have DVDs anymore. I had DVDs, you know, but like I sold them all. And then now I still, now I'm like, will buy Apple Music movies. Oh, when they're on sale, you know, like I just bought The Revenant. That Oh, that, have um, you not seen it yet? A, I had seen it once and it's, it's such a good movie. That's intense. And it was five bucks, you know, because they have all these specials right now because, oh, wow. because of the Oscars. And uh, I love DiCaprio. You know, I'm a fan of his, you know, like, yeah. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. I think he's fucking great. He's great. And um, so it, it, to me, it, it's, um, you know, uh, I just started watching it last night and I just, I just, I'm just like, damn. That, I think that movie was my introduction so to Tom beautiful. Hardy. Tom yeah. Hardy is in it too. And he's, He's sick. Yeah. This guy is sick. Yeah. I mean, he always plays this, these characters, these really sick people, and like yeah. so believable. Like, you wonder what he's like. Yeah. You but do, he's so yeah. private. Like, you, you'd like, who is he? I mean, like, who is this guy? Yeah. I like What's his yeah, name directed but, it? Um, uh, uh, um, you got me. The, 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 is he the, the Spanish guy? Spanish, Mexican? What is he? Um, yeah. I have to look this up quickly. 
You got to know. But yeah, no, that movie is just, I mean, visually, as far as like, visually. I had to do one, one interesting gig I had was to write an essay about, for the, I wrote an essay for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when Journey got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Alejandro uh, Inarito. Inarito, yes. Yes. Um, when the Journey director. got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I the did. Band. I, and I ran, I, I wish I'd written them down, but I, I did my research to write this essay about them when they got inducted. And uh, man, the numbers of like how many albums that they sold <laughs> back in the days oh. when people were buying albums, it was just mind blowing. Because yeah. they bought the albums, and then, as you say, when they came out on CD, they bought them again. And uh, but it was just, yeah, it was insane. But I that, I grew up in that culture, and I think you you did too of of buying albums, holding them in your hand as a physical product. And I now, mean, yeah. albums were before me. My my parents had albums. I had cassettes, and then my you know CDs and my my disc man, which was a terrible invention. The disc man. <laughs> The disc man was awful. It was. It, it, it was would, awful. I mean, like, hello, it's, it's a disc and spinning. Like, I mean, you like you couldn't knock it. Like, Walkmans were amazing. Walkmans were like, amazing. You couldn't knock that thing. It would just play and play and play. You know, they were better than actual tape players. But the disc man was shit. I mean, yeah. You know, mini disc, mini discs were cool. Yeah, the, they, that, that never I, took off because then then the internet came right. and MP3s arrived basically on day that two. <laughs> and that was, yeah, my I mean my student I have teach a lot of, I have a lot of guitar students I have about twenty guitar students nice. guitar and bass and although I teach quite a few adults most of them are kids and and they uh, it's interesting when I talk to them uh, when they're learning a song you know by a band. Um, they are rarely interested in what that band looks like. You know, I'll say, okay, let's just say, just for instance, a Nirvana song. Uh, if I'm teaching a kid a Nirvana song, I'm like, did you ever see the video for this song? And they're like, no. I'm like, do you want to see the video for this song? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, but the, the, the way that they receive music, because they don't have to pay for it, and uh, uh, they value it differently. I would say less than because there's just so much of it, and it's free, you know. But but the you know, and again, I don't want to get get into one of these get get off my lonely damn kids. You know, back <laughs> in my day when things were great, everything was great. <laughs> but I don't want to be that guy. But um, uh, you're not that guy. But the you're not the uh, but the 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 notion of the that it was that it was a thing that you could hold in your hands, you know, and, mm. and liner notes that you could read, images that would go along with the music, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of like returning music to how it was in the days before albums, you know, whether it was the the forties or the fifties. I mean, my mom was born in nineteen forty two, and she talks about when she was a kid, a teenager. They would just buy 45s and there was no, there was sometimes there were photographs on of the artists on the 45s, but as often as not, more often than not, there wasn't, or you would just hear something on the radio and there was no magazine to go and get and see what is, you know, what does Buddy Holly look like? What does Fats Domino look like? You know, what does Chuck Berry look like? They, nobody knew, you know, they didn't know what these people looked like. Mm -hmm. They loved the music. 
and they wanted more of the music and they would mostly get the music from the radio which also was free yeah. uh i mean you could go out and buy the 45s but um but so the kids are like that now i find and uh they do love the music and they love to uh they love to learn the songs and they're um mm -hmm. but in terms of like what the songs mean to them culturally to them like i know several kids that i feel like be like man, you could be a pro i don't know if this has happened to you yet as a teacher but there's every now and then a kid comes along and i'm like holy shit if this kid keeps going at this trajectory mm -hmm. they're gonna be better than they're gonna be teaching me in like a year you know that's a that's a you're making a very good point you know because i i work with singers and um and i produce and you know um i i love working with talent and I, I will say I agree with you, you know, like I have a couple of uh, students or, you know, that I'm or artists, I'm, you know, trying to develop and producing and, and the, you know, the, the thing at the end of the day always is the talent isn't enough. And a lot of kids don't get that. They think talent is enough and it's not because yeah. for that hour you spend on stage, you have to spend 100 hours getting that gig and preparing for the gig and the writing the music, arranging the music, recording the music, putting together the band, rehearsing the band, traveling to the gig, publicizing you know, I, the gig. I, I mean, publicizing the gig. Yeah. So the lifestyle, if you haven't done it is a turnoff for most, you know, yeah. you and I have done it. We we're doing it, you know, and, and, and that's why like, you know, you're, you're a lifer like me. Definitely, you know, and and I and and yeah, you can do other things, but at the end of the day, if you want to be a recording artist and you want to be a performer, you have to get up on stage. That means you have to travel. That means you have to put up with odd hours. That means you have to, you know, have. I mean, everyone's different when it comes to that. But generally, when you don't have enough sleep, it affects your mood. Then how are you going to feel better about yourself? Are you going to, you know, get some exercise and eat some good food? Or are you going to do some drugs and eat some bad food? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, and if you're 22, you can do that latter yeah. thing for a little while. You can. Yeah, but you can't do that forever. You know, no, so so really the, to me, it's like that the, the difference between between those the, the kid that you were describing, that's going to teach me one day, you know, that is do they also have the drive right to 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 create a career for themselves right. and that's where you need business sense right and, and there's, there's been there's, that's what yeah. most don't have they don't have it and they don't and they yeah they, but there's been there has been a ham that they're in, certainly in the minority there mm. are kids that i have taught that are gifted gifted and but they have no interest whatsoever in in uh, in in the all those other things that you that you talk about. Yeah. But there are a few that do, and um, and they have they're putting in the work and they're putting in the time and they're playing live and they're hustling and doing all the stuff that that has always been the case. But it has been fascinating to me because the old notion of of being a working musician is is not what it once was. Um, and certainly not as remunerative as it once was, you know, you don't, it's not, you can have a life, uh, but the chances of, of having a, like a, you know, 
uh, the chances of, of, of making money to have a good living have always not been great, but they're less great than they ever have been mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. in a lot of ways. But the uh, but nevertheless, though, mm-hmm. uh, what fascinates me is because there was there was a time when people were wondering when when Spotify was just getting started and and people were wondering if um, if kids would even be interested in music anymore, and they are definitely interested in music but what they're not so interested in is becoming rock stars they want to do other stuff Mm. they want to become youtube stars generally i find which is a whole if you want to if you want to have a creative life or tiktok you can make money that is actually an avenue for a lot of kids and they are with advertising all stuff anyway but that's not my area but the um i have been uh I have been going out. I have going forward. I have more, you know, I'm always setting up opportunities to, whether it's to promote my book or to be a presenter for this show that I'm doing uh, a week from Sunday called The Real Life Revival, where I have, it is, uh, I call it, my pitch is it's a cross between a Prairie Home Companion and the Moth Story Hour, Mm -hmm. a mountain stage radio show, and that I have, I'm the host, and I have two storytellers, and I have two singer-songwriters, and it's two acts. And I just use the same format as Garrison Keeler did for all those years. Um, and small venue, but a nice little theater. And um, and it's been really great. I enjoy that. What's the date and the time for this and the location? They It's going to be at the Orpheum Theater in Saugerties on Sunday night at 8 p.m. Sunday, March 19th. And then um, so I'm doing that. And then following that, I'm doing another book event for the Cash Book at a theater in Tannersville, New York, up the road from me, this beautiful old theater. So is this um, the book called, this is called Cash on Cash? Cash on Cash. And I have a show that I do. I have a whole thing that I do that I just did on the Outlaw Country Cruise. And people can get I that on, on, on Amazon? Yeah. The book. Cash on Cash is available on all it's available. I was amazed to see it's it's available at Walmart. Yay! Um, <laughs> but it's also I, I always tell people your local bookseller if you have one. Some people don't yes, have one. Please, your local bookseller can order it for you from Chicago Review Press if it's I not in their stock. Yes. But anyway, or you can get it straight from Amazon, or you can get it from Barnes and Noble, or you can get it from anywhere. It's cash on cash uh, interviews and encounters with Johnny Cash. But yeah, April 1st, I'm doing that event. And then after that, I'm doing my Leonard Cohen tribute. And that's, I haven't done that since 2018. Where is that? That's going to be at the Colony. I'll, nice. I'll, I'll send you an email about that. That's Please. a Saturday night, April 29th. 29th. And then you and I are playing at the Colony. Yes. We are playing at the Colony, folks. TBD. That's going to happen. TBD. Yeah, we're going to announce it soon. Yeah, soon. Of, yeah, we're working on that. <laughs> But uh, I love the colony. It's like a cross between like a roadhouse and a cabaret. And I want to and, sing your uh, Bowie tribute, man. And, I'm so pissed, yeah. by the way, that you couldn't get that the, they wouldn't let you in. That annoys the shit out of me. Oh, no, don't worry about it. But um, about but it. the we'll uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll go in through the front door. <clears throat> but uh, the uh, yeah, for for the listeners, uh, Jan and I were going to meet in person when I was doing my book event, my my book party for the release of Cash on Cash. During the festival, right? The film festival, you were here. Woodstock Film Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, you were just going to come in during soundcheck. And to Mike's amazement, someone said, "No, you can't come in." 
You can't come in. I don't remember what happened, but it was, <laughs> it was, uh, I was like, okay, you know, another time, another time. Yeah. Well, and look, here we are. are. Here we are. But, um, yeah. but yeah, so there's always something um, on the horizon, you know, for me. I'm always putting the wheels in motion. I've gotten accustomed to the effort expended to, I've become a producer of events. Sometimes yeah. they're my own events, sometimes they're other events. But, um, and there's a nice, uh, there's a lot of support up here. And I took it down to New York City last January. I took the Bowie tribute down there and that was fun. And uh, yeah, just going forward, I, I, um, I've figured out how to do these things. And, and I'm lucky right. that in that the Hudson Valley is a, is a really supportive environment. And um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that, especially since, since COVID, I was stunned last March, almost a year ago, uh, when we had been thwarted uh, by COVID and I had scheduled a the Bowie tribute and then we had to reschedule it for March and then we did it. And in, I, I'm sure this has happened to you as a performer where you're like, are people going to come out? <laughs> are they going to, are they going to, I don't know. Nobody knows. I'm always like to this day, even if I'm, you know, but I was thinking with the COVID stuff. I mean, it was like, people going to worry about getting sick. I mean, in the past it was hard enough to get people the hell out of their houses sometimes, yeah. but but to my astonishment, I'm, I'm always happy and excited when people come. I never expect it, you know, but they're going to come, you know, like you just have to believe it. You know, it's a leap of faith. Every time you book a show, every time you go on tour, oh, you yeah. know, it's a, it's a leap of faith, you know, and it's um, like, be, yes, it's a being like being a compulsive gambler. You know? Basically. Yes. Yeah, I, yes. Want my, I want my, adrenaline my lucky day. <laughs> it's my lucky day. I need my dopamine hit, man. It, it's been so nice talking to you, man. It's been so nice talking. Thanks, John. Wrap it I up. I appreciate it. it. Likewise, it's great having you on, Robert Burke Warren. Thank now, where you. can people follow you I'm and close. find you? Like, what's it? You're welcome. Um, <laughs> what's I a, what's a good place as you to mentioned, check all these dates. As you mentioned, uh, as you mentioned that my my uh, you can you can contact me through my website. My website is in dire need of, of an update. It has not been updated, as you mentioned, since 2016. <laughs> But I am also on all the other platforms. I'm on Instagram at the real RBW. And I'm on Facebook as Robert Burke Warren. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really do Twitter. I have an account and I will be I will be live tweeting the Oscars in a couple of days. <laughs> yes, you will. I'll, I'll be <laughs> liking every post. I'll um, be retweeting. Are you going to watch the Oscars? I yeah. don't know. I haven't thought about it. Yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of of the Oscars. I like the Oscars and, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I saw I've seen most of the movies this year, and um, mm -hmm. I'm rooting I'm I'm rooting for uh, for my favorites. Um, and I just uh, watched a couple of them. I watched. Um, I haven't seen Everything Is Everything Everything All at Once. Everything. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> um, I have. That's the I favorite, saw, by the way. That is apparently. Um, I saw, uh, what did I just see? The, the one where they're all on that boat, the triangle of sadness. I have not seen that one. How was that? That was, uh, it was, uh, interesting. <laughs> there were some hilarious moments, hilarious, like LOL uh -huh. moments. Um, oh God, what is the other one that was actually really, oh no, that wasn't, this is not nominated. I just saw Knives Out finally. Oh movie. yeah, yeah. That's I fun. hadn't seen that. That's been out for a while, but. I loved that. I thought that was yeah. the best thing I'd seen in a while. Yeah, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, that's his stuff is great. Yeah, that was killer. I thought, uh, you know, no pun intended. Um, 
<laughs> so so yeah, you know, I've been I've been trying, you know, but I'm in the middle of the album release oh, yeah, and doing media right. and going on tour. Speaking of which, I have some dates to announce, folks. Go for it. Do I'm it. going to be at Cafe Rue in Cape Town on March 30th with the new album. And then I will be at the Splashy Fen Festival that's in Underberg near Durban on April 7th and 8th. Uh, that's Easter weekend. Then I'm going to be in Johannesburg for a show at the Academy of Sound Engineering on April 14th. And I'm just going to leave it at that because after that we have our um, East Coast album release shows coming up and we have an Ohio show actually on the 28th, right before your thing on the 29th. So I don't think I'm going to be able to come to that because I'll be driving from Ohio. April 28th at the Soap Gallery in Youngstown, May 4th at the Sacred Heart Community Theater in Fairfield, Connecticut. And see, I'm like, oh, this, off the top of my head, darling, off the top of my head. That's um, impressive. May 7th at the Cutting Room in New York City. Uh, May 25th at the Sellersville Theater with special guest Annie Haslam from Renaissance. Um on May 25th, Sellersville, Pennsylvania. And then Germany dates are coming up in June. So there's still a bunch of stuff coming up. And there's some radio stuff in there. And, you know, but, you know, you guys know where to look at the schedule. So there you go. There Safe you go. travels. Now you know you, everything. I am oh, so you. thrilled for you. It's going to be an adventure. It will. It will. And it's going to be an adventure when we get to see each other and jam and talk to each other again. Yeah, I want to keep delicious. The, uh, the, on the, the, the May dates, I'm going to, I'm gonna sign up. I'm gonna get on your mailing list, so I'll know when these are. Yeah, man, please come, come down. down for, see you at the cutting. Come room. down for New York, and uh, I'll come up to uh, Woodstock and see you. Yes, please come up to the country. It's uh, countryside. It's come up to the countryside. Yeah, yes, it's been, love it. I love it up for, there, man. I've been here for a while. I love it up here too. I love I the Hudson I would Valley. hate it. One of the surprises of my life is that mm. I enjoy living up here. But I'm again, I'm not that far from you. I'm not that far from Manhattan. Yes, I'm in um, Astoria, Queens, which is basically the sleepy the sleepiest part of manhattan even the even the weather you know when you when i look at the weather it always thinks i'm in manhattan but it's nice and quiet over here which i love so um so yes right, yay queens all right robert see, Burke, Warren, you thank you for coming Thanks, on yeah this was fun you got it man thank you everybody for tuning in that was making sound with your close episode 83 with my guest robert Burke Warren. we'll see you next time everybody bye